0: distress with head and neck cancer patients. Seven years ago, I was treated for stage four throat cancer, oropharyngeal it's called, but it was in my throat, tonsils in the back of my tongue, and I was treated with radiation and chemo and I'm still here. And this video on managing distress is one of a series of videos looking at innovations in treatment for head and neck cancer patients to both improve survival, but equally importantly, uh, quality of life. And these videos are hosted by St Vincent's Hospital, Sydney, and the Kinghorn Cancer Centre. And before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge that we're broadcasting today on Aboriginal land and to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Aora Nation, uh, their elders, past and present and emerging leaders. And also to acknowledge that many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are disproportionately affected by the sort of head and neck cancers uh, that we're talking about today. So in just a moment, you're going to hear just a little bit of the story of three very different head and neck cancer patients. And then we'll meet four clinicians who, three of whom are working on a daily basis with patients and families, and one of whom is doing important research. So, welcome and thanks for joining
1: us. Wren Jensen from Head and Neck Cancer Support Aotearoa New Zealand again. Um, Julie has asked me to talk about mental health and head and neck cancer. And I could go on about this for ages because I've had three bouts of head and neck cancer, getting more disfigured and disabled each time, but still here. And I have boiled down my thoughts as a long-term patient on mental health issues. And I've come up with three things I think are important to me as a patient and to carers who live through this situation with their spouses, partners, etc. The first one is medication. I don't know if all patients realise that there are useful medications that can can reduce the pain, the grief, the anxiety and the fear and the panic. There are anti-anxiety medications, which I have never been offered, never taken. uh, Fortunately, I probably haven't needed them, but antidepressants have served me very well indeed, to to telepram, to keep me thinking a bit more positively, not being in that dull, aching, panic anxiety-ridden mode long-term, I think they've helped together with my second piece of advice or or strategy, which is seeing a counsellor, a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I don't know if all patients, especially men, accept that this is just a practical, helpful age to coping with a, a, head, a cancer that is so isolating, disfiguring, so has such terrible treatment over many weeks that can leave you pretty emotionally scarred. So I think that um, the, the um, no how can I say it normalizing psychological help is a very good thing. it's happening now. It can't happen fast enough, and i found that I have had free counselling from Cancer Society psychologists, and they've helped me to sort out what is rational fear from what is exaggerated irrational fear, and they've given me strategies like mindfulness, like... um Things like taking photographs of nature and sharing them. Um, Gratitude for the things that are good in our lives. Taking things a step at a time and not catastrophizing when you don't need to. And just the intimacy of strangers. Your friends and family can't really deal with all your grief. Um, It needs a stranger to look at it in perspective and help you in a, what could I call, maybe in a, yeah, seeing it more clearly perhaps and putting it in perspective with what most patients feel and what are the best ways to deal with it. My third method of dealing with the grief, pain, depression, anxiety of head and neck cancer is peer support this is maybe should be top of the list. When I first got head and neck cancer, I was so worried that I'd be so disfigured, that I was so disgusting, that I'd be isolated, my life would be over even if I survived. That I joined the Oral Cancer Foundation in America. and may help me hugely. A big pool of experienced patients, some of them with excellent peer support skills and tons of information. And now we have the Aotearoa group, a Facebook group, and for all Facebook sins, this has been a great group for me to help manage because it's not only getting support from your peers but giving it that helps ease the troubled soul. So those are the three things that I've boiled it down to for dealing with mental health issues and there'll be many more and they don't work for everyone but I hope that gives some focus for discussion. Thank you.
2: Hi, I'm Denise Whelan and I was diagnosed with squamous cell carcinoma in my upper gums and under one lip in May 2017. But- day I found out that I had cancer in my gums, I was alone. I took a phone call from the lovely oral surgeon who'd done the biopsy the week before and I think I sensed that the news was not going to be great. So whilst I had a teary reaction and was able to summon my husband back home from the work he was doing as a volunteer, I actually then, my head went into a different space. It went into the organiser that I am, the planner that I am, as I started to seek where I would be having uh, a consultation. In fact, it was the very next day at Chris O'Brien Lifehouse with my surgeon, uh, who was, and uh, still is, Professor Jonathan Clark. Getting there, though, was the hard part. You see, my anxiety still had a great hold on me, and I was fearful of the drive. It was to Sydney for two hours. I was scared about my IBS that may have impacted me, but my husband, who was amazingly patient, still is, And my GP just said, Denise, you know you've got to do it. And in fact, I did do it. I did it with lots of help. I used some medication and I got to Chris O'Brien Lifehouse to hear the story of what was ahead, the surgery that would end up taking 11 hours. Once I knew what was ahead of me, scared as I was of the idea that I would lose the upper part of my mouth, I had to trust, and I did trust, in the team that was going to look after me. I... As someone who, like many, wants to be in control of everything, I realised this was something I couldn't actually control and that the only thing I could control was me and my reactions. So I needed to embed some mindfulness practice, which I was already doing, but I needed to increase that, and I needed to use some distractions and so on as I waited the long seven weeks before I finally had that surgery. As a teacher and a talker and an eater and a smiler, it was incredibly important for me to hope that I could have all the skills that I valued, such as talking, eating, drinking and smiling. And in fact, when I recovered from the 11 hours of uh, the pretty drastic reconstructive surgery, my first words were, oh, I can talk. That was incredibly powerful and empowering. I then recovered over the next 10 days at Chris O'Brien Lifehouse and each person, each medical person, each uh, support person who came to see me went, wow, you're looking good. By their comments and by how I felt inside, I knew that I was on my way to wellness, even though it was one heck of a journey and I knew it would take a very long time. Using those skills over the next uh, two and a half to actually three years now uh, has become a practice. In fact, my mental health has never been better. I do, though, have to keep check of down days and I have to be remain patient as I wait in between surgeries. I've now had four, um, but I am going extremely well. One thing that I stand by is having a routine. I was pretty routineless in my early years of retirement, but having a routine, something to look forward to, something creative to do every day, something social to do every day, which is when I go out for a cup of coffee and get myself dressed up to do so, has made the world of difference. I hope that sharing my story might help others know that having a cancer diagnosis, particularly one that's in the head and neck, may not necessarily be all doom and gloom. It may be a chance to grow.
3: Hello, my name's Gary Maher, and I'm a head and neck cancer patient. I had eight weeks of radiation, chemotherapy, peak tube, and the mass. The mass. Very stressful times. I didn't go very well. took a psychologist, psychiatrist, and my own biopsy doctor to keep motivating me, and helping me, and encourage me to keep going, because I gave up many, many times. I want to talk about the stress, the distress, and and I want to give a suggestion to help people get through. Because the doctors and the nurses they kept telling me to do these things, to keep easy, try to feed myself through the p tube and and other things and I just could not do it. And I asked if I could talk to another patient just to get some ideas and help uh, as to how they cope. And their answer was for Privacy reasons, they couldn't give me any names of anyone else I could talk to. It's a very lonely journey when, when there's nobody to contact, to relate, and uh, it's a very, very difficult struggle. Later on down the track, a couple of years down the track, I found a flyer for a head deck cancer support group in the Central Coast. and I went to that meeting and lo and behold, met of people that underwent the same thing as me and we all su- shared a lot of good suggestions about how they coped through the scenarios the mask and the pet tube the feeding all this stuff I only wish I had that at that time and so my suggestion is for all doctors and nurses in the cancer centres recommend new patients to get in contact with support groups at the very early stage is during the time when they really need it at least they've got that contact and they can go through and talk to people. And to summary, summarize, the difference is is the difference between sympathy and empathy. The doctors and nurses can give you sympathy they go through a script of telling you what to do and when you throw things back, I can't do that, I don't know what to do. And they can't help you. They really can't. But other patients have been through it, they can give you empathy. And it's empathy that is really, really valuable. They know what's going on in here, they know what's going on in your heart, and they can relate to you. And they've had all that experience that within the group, they can give you so much tips and ideas of how to get through. It's so, so valuable. So my innovation and recommendation is for all doctors and nurses to promote and push support groups. They're very, very valuable. For head and neck, beyond five, they have a whole list of all the support groups that currently are available and will keep adding to that list as more and more support groups uh, evolve. And for other cancer groups, obviously the Cancer
0: Centre, they can definitely help. Thank you. So look, let's begin. It's my enormous pleasure uh, to welcome Dr. Ben Britton and also harriana Dillon. Ben, can I start with you? Do you want to introduce yourself?
4: Sure, so I'm Ben, I'm a psychologist. <clears throat> I live and work in Newcastle. Uh, and I suppose my experience with head and neck cancer patients has been working clinically for a long time, um, but also done quite a bit of research uh, and that tended to be the group that I work with in terms of research.
0: And I'd like to come to that research later, but we've just seen a little bit of the story of three people. My first question to you is what are some of the sources of distress, the causes of distress for head and neck cancer patients? Just from what we've heard so far, what, what you know, come, came to your attention? Yeah, I
4: mean, I think what stood out for me is... Um, the, the lady from New Zealand sort of mentioning, uh, and, and indeed the, the other lady, uh, talking about changes to what makes their life feel good, meaningful, so talking and eating and socialising, that, just that everyday stuff. And I think um, the impact on everyday living, on what we usually do to cope, what we usually do to enjoy ourselves and, and make, it, make life feel worthwhile is really impacted on by head and neck cancer, both the cancer, but also the treatment. You know, it's it's quite a rough treatment in that in that sense.
0: Just in a nutshell, for someone who might be a a, a new member of a clinical team and they're just beginning to work with head and neck cancer patients. Just in a nutshell, why?